Hello and welcome to Kingtown USA, a podcast where I, Ryan King, talk about music gear and my amazing guests. My guest today is an entrepreneur by day and by night is the chief vocalist for a band formerly known as Tiptoe Glory Hole. <laughs> now Big Finish. Yes, everyone. It's my good friend and brother, David Rhodes. How are you doing today? Good, Ryan. How are you doing, man? Good. Got some applause for you in here, dude? There you do. Oh, look at you. You're pro. I'm working on it. Working on it. This is the first one. But uh, yeah, I, I used to have a podcast where I just talked about me. Now I want to focus on you know all my friends because I know a lot of people and totally more interesting than me. A lot of people know you. A lot of people know me. You're you're a big deal. I mean, if you're kind I of think you're a big deal. I mean, that's why you're the first it's one. It's a fair turnaround. Uh, but yeah, okay. <laughs> <coughs> Everybody else was like, uh, "What day?" <laughs> right. <laughs> So you're uh you're from Tempe? You born and raised in Tempe? No, I was at, born in California. My parents met at ASU. Okay. Moved around. I was born in California, moved to Minnesota, and then moved here from there when I was like five. So I went to all the schooling here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. What uh? Native, what much. essentially got you into music? Because that's where we know each other. Obviously, is the scene. Yeah, it was uh, actually skateboarding up to Mill Avenue because my brother, when he got out of the Navy, got into a band. And I would skate down to Mill Avenue, and I'd watch them play at Long Longs on Mill, and it was, it was pivotal. I would, uh, it was transcendent for me to st- stand outside. I was probably thirteen or fourteen. I'd stand outside the window of Longs and just watch bands play. <clears throat> and they did, a, they did a Tuesday night thing, and I'd always go up there school nights. You know, my parents would be, you know, they're like, you know, just don't get arrested. You know, don't you're, you're, it's better than pouring gas on the pool and starting fires, which is what I would otherwise occupy myself, you know, doing. Right. But so they let me go up there and I'd watch bands play and I just got keyed into it and I was amazed by it. So I was like that. I want to I want to do that. And I was always a singer like in choir and stuff. So. Right. So it kind of was a part of the upbringing. Yeah. Music was my mom's dad was a jazz musician. Oh, really? Yeah. Back in the day, he was big band jazz out of Amarillo, Texas. So being on their 66, he would gig with like some major, major acts. In fact, there's a photo in my family and there's on my Facebook, there's a whole bunch of uh, Louis Armstrong photos and, you know, Velma Middleton and Gene Krupa and all these cats that went through Amarillo. My mom went and got, got to go see when she was a teenager. So she was doing kind of the same thing that I was doing. Right. Like going and watching live music with her mom or with her dad. Wow. And it was, uh, you know, very, it influenced her. And so her support for music when her, when her, you know, second oldest son started playing the drums. And then when I was singing in choir and then I wanted to get into a band, she was instrumental in getting a guitar for me and stuff. So Right. Very, very much behind it. Oh, yeah, totally. That's awesome. Um, so with that, <clears throat> I don't believe we ever talked about, but what is uh, some of your influences as far as your own music goes? I mean, obviously, the Gin Blossoms are a big one. Right. Um, I, I My first record I ever bought was Adam and the Ants, so I was, like, big into, like, Brit pop kind of shit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, my brother, my oldest brother, Mike, sold me his King of the Wild Frontier copy for $12 in probably 1984, and that was retail, dude. I could have bought a record for that. And he sold it to me for retail, that jackass. And it had a skip on it, too. That's what pisses. I still give him shit for that, for the, but I still have the vinyl. But it was definitely like Adam and the Ants, then Men Without Hats, Echo and the Bunnymen. You know, a lot of the stuff that my brothers were listening to kind of made its way into my life. Uh, 
but then as I got older, the musical style, like hanging out with Doug Hopkins and stuff, really kind of steered where I went. Like he was big and he would love, he loved Red Cross. So he turned me on to Red Cross. Oh, cool. And so I was like, got into that. And so the older I got, the more, you know, I got into a little dirtier, kind of like the Foo Fighters, you know, mm-hmm. kind of grungy stuff, I guess, for lack of a better word, Soundgarden and, um, you know, Jack White. So it was always on this like rock theme. Oh yeah, thing. yeah. But I I I dig hip hop a lot. I was like yeah. totally went through a rap phase too, so I could like probably break out some old school Ice Cube or you know, Easy you know, NWA or whatever all day long if you needed me to. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to, I'd have to hear that one day <laughs> if you get enough. Uh. Oh, Beastie Boys! Like when we're ripping like a tuning or something during uh during our shows, sometimes uh, like Greg will play like a. I can't remember the, the name of the song. I think it's like a it's High Plains Drifter, the sample from High Plains Drifter mm-hmm. that the Beastie Boys took the sample of. You know, do 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 So I'd go chapter and verse on that shit. <laughs> I think I've seen that a couple times at like yeah. festivals or like Tempe Beach Park or something like that. Just sound checking. Yeah. Um. So Greg is in your band, Big Finish. Yeah, but Gre- you've been in other bands before. Yeah. Yeah. Been in, yeah tell just, me about those other bands because we know Big Finish. The first band I, I was ever in was called uh, the Codependence, mm-hmm. which I thought was a brilliant, brilliant name. But uh, it was short lived. We, me and Eddie Montenegro, who later played in uh, Mink Rebellion. Uh, Eddie Montenegro. We had Dave Gary played drums and Rod Henshaw. He was an older cat that we all met in a music class out in, at, at Phoenix College. Rod and I did, and we were like, yeah, we should do something. He played bass. And uh, so I was talking to Eddie, and we found a drummer, and it just kind of worked. <clears throat> we played for a while, played for, I don't know, probably like four years. Oh, wow. Three, four years. Yeah. I did see some pictures on your Facebook of uh, the Codependence last show. Yeah, over at uh, the Big Fish Pub, which was I such a weird was. venue. It was really cool venue, but they got some big acts in there. I remember seeing some pretty na- some national acts on there. But, yeah, we, the Codependence and then Time Off and then uh, American Standard. That's right. I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, American Standard was, was that? it was uh, American Standard was Caleb Anderson played drums. Uh, he played later in with in ten dollar outfit and then with a guy named Brian Chartrand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Caleb Anderson on on drums, uh, Andy Jensen who later played bass with Tramps and Thieves, mm-hmm. and then Matt Vince, uh, a classically trained guitar player, and uh, he was an interesting lead guitar player because everything he tried to do would be to make it difficult for anybody else to copy. Right. So his, all of his riffs were like, God, dude, what? Job security. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you, just, you don't need to go to 11 every time, but he had, he had, he had, you know, some tasty licks. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It so. makes it uh, more fun to listen to later, you know? Yeah. And Andy was, Andy was great. I mean, anybody who's heard Tramps and Thieves oh, yeah. knows that that guy can lock it down. And Andy sings, you know, he's, he's a good cat. I miss him. He moved back to Minnesota. That's what I, I remember that. After Tramps, he did move. Yeah. Um, so were both Codependence and American Standard, were those music genres that those bands played similar to Big Finish, or were they different? Or how would you describe it if I was to say, what do you sound like and you were still in that band? It would be more, I, I would hope to say more mature. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was the primary songwriter in both bands, and it was, as it kind of evolved the songwriting and the, and the, you know, you're honing the craft, you know, you play guitar, yeah. 
you know, you start, you listen to yourself from six years ago, you're like, oh, God, that guy sucks. Right. Kind of like that, except I kind of still have that same ne- negative, you know, dialogue internally. You know, you just kind of like, well, but the songwriting and I think the lyric work that I've done, just, the, the, I'm still about the hook. Still, right. still want to, you know, don't bore us, get to the chorus kind of shit. And it's, mm-hmm. and being able to write a song and structure a song, I think that's kind of evolved. And I think it's a lot more, you know, where there's some bridges. I haven't gotten over the top. I think they're still really basic tunes. Mm-hmm. But I think what I have to say has kind of changed. Right. So as your product has evolved, you know, and matured over the years to get to you where we are now in Big Finish, um, what's the, that process like for you of you know, do you come up with, for the songwriting process, is it like coming up with a guitar riff? Is it coming up with a chorus hook? Like, what's that process like for you? It could, either way, it could either be a, it could either be a, a melody I hear in my head, and then I got to find the guitar part to go with it, or I just noodle on a guitar part, and I need to find the words to go with it. Right. And usually when I hear the melody in my head, it's got some kind of phrasing of, you know, lyrics that will go along with it, you know, kind of the accents and the, you know, just the cadence of, of words that would go with it. So it, the, the, it can go either, either direction. But uh, I think more recently what I've found is that I'll be, I'll have something in my head that I'll want to get out and then I'll just kind of, kind of find the lyrics. Well, that's not, it'll be the song first, the music first, and then I'll kind of find something to say to it. Right, but you'll have like kind of an idea of how that vocal melody is going to go. Yeah, that always is there. You know, like the <clears throat> the skeleton of the, and then fill in with the words later. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so wh- when you're writing and you're with the band now, you've got the song with the band. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you know when you, as a songwriter, ha- this like this man, this is a good song. Like, what makes a good song to you for your band? That's actually an interesting question. It's when I don't have to convince them to do it. I'm forcing them to do it. It's when I'm committed to the song because I'm like, this is a fucking good tune. Right. We're going to play this song. You know, and there's a couple of that are they're still on deck that I haven't taught them yet that I'm going to teach them. We just haven't had time. Mm-hmm. Rehearsal schedules. And, yeah. yeah, just like, I mean, the pandemic shot up everybody in the leg when it came to try to preparing new material and stuff. But there's a couple of tunes. And it, it's when, when it's a song that I could play on my own, acoustically and I feel good about it and I could like shit yeah I'm committed to this this sounds I'm happy with this that I'm I take it to the band it's the ones where I've I've written and it's like I'm kind of iffy they pick up on that and then like let's play that other one so so you know when you have that confidence behind it oh yeah yeah yeah. and it's usually it's usually when a song is fully baked so I'll come to them and it's fully baked and I'll and they're really generous with me because I'll like with Tony Tony Burns, who plays guitar in Big Finish, right. one of the three guitar players, we're probably looking for a fifth and a sixth, you know, fourth and a fifth. Right. But, you know, never too many guitars. Never. But, uh, like, I'll, I'll go to Tony and I'll be like, here's a song, and I'm, I'm kind of hearing this hook. And he'll, he'll key into it, he'll take it, and then run with it, which is really a, a generous, it's a kindness from a guitar player that doesn't put, don't tell me what to play kind of thing, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, so putting his own spin on it but like taking <clears throat> it to that next oh level absolutely part yeah he'll evolve it he'll he'll evolve the hook just like you know everything i need was one of those where it's like you know 
the hook at the end of that was like oh, yeah. it started off with like I'm hearing this, but if you ask me to play it, it's just going to be the same three four notes. Right. You give it to him, it's like, all right, let me massage that and make something out of that, you know. Yeah. Take it to the next level. Totally. Um, so when you're not playing music, um, what do you do outside of music? that contributes to your musicality or really, I guess, is something like a hobby that can help rejuvenate your creativity? Because we all get that point when we're writing or when we're making music that you just feel like, I need to just take a break. So what's that thing for you that you gravitate toward to help you come back and I guess cleanse the palate so you can come back as like a... Being alone. And that's big. that's been difficult, especially with, you know, the pandemic and shit that's gone down because we had people move into our house my brother-in-law my nephew moved into our house on my, my wife's you know, side of the family because a lot of things happened and so being alone was hard right if not impossible you know with, i have kids they live at home going to college going to going to high school my wife worked at home so when i get time to be alone yeah, man, that's where it's like, holy shit. Then I start playing, and that's when I can start doing it. I was, I had to, as, a, as a, just a, as a function of finding the outlet during the during the course of 2020. I had to find a way to be able to still get it out. You know, if I had something to say, I'd have to figure out a way to do it mm-hmm. in a house full of people. Freaking, you know, shoot, it was seven, five, six people in the house. Wow. You know, yeah, two bathrooms. Right. <laughs> hard, to, hard to get some alone time yeah totally yeah so that's that's a big one when but outside of that i like to just unplugging is i'm a cinephile i love watching movies um shutting off my brain and it's trying not to you know drink too much or try not to smoke too much or try not to do things too much but and outside of that's just cooking but then it gets into this rote routine where mm-hmm. it doesn't recharge it just kind of repeats pushes you along it's like okay like you you check the boxes for today tomorrow rinse and repeat do it again right but <clears throat> be, play, being able to play guitar by myself yeah that's where it's like because then i and then when i'm in the group of people just shutting up and listening right. especially with my wife because she's got a lot to offer and perspectives when she's talking to her friends or talking to her family and you know the loss that she's gone through over the last 24 months with losing her parents. Right. I don't have anything to offer that. So I just sit there and listen. And out of that came, you know, some stuff, right. You know, and then out of some other drama that happened in the family came another song, you know? So those right. are, and that was a big thing for me is like, instead of writing about shit that I've gone through, right. Cause that's a limited lens. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you can't, and that was a big for me is, late in life as it was where I kind of came to that realization it's like uh, I'm a better writer when I put, take myself out of the equation it's not about me because it's less relatable but I'm, I'm writing about what I'm observing and any I think any most songwriters that I respect and know mm-hmm. are really good at that I'm kind of late to that game but it's still it's something that you know you can find it there yeah. bring some magic out yeah you know and it's it's always cool when you can take a bad situation and turn it into something that you know isn't as bad as the situation itself oh yeah absolutely i mean you think about some of the best guitar you know best singer songwriters that i I can think of are just they're not living that drama they're just observing it right or they just hear about it or even 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 better they just make it up you know making up some really relatable content Mm -hmm. 
that somebody can insert themselves into that narrative, insert themselves into that song, that story, and make it about them. Shit, Doug Hopkins was a master at that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like hearing the song and being like, yeah, man, that, that happened to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. We've all sat there with the street light blinking. We've all, been, we've all been there. You hear a song too often on the radio or, yeah, guy, shit, brilliant. Well, in regards to music, I guess now, uh, what are some of your musical goals for either your band or you as an individual, as a musician? Record more. Record more. Yeah, it took me way too long to record my first record, and, and it's something that I've, I've always wanted to do with American Standard. Mm-hmm. We wanted to do it with Codependence. We didn't get any further than the conservatory doing a demo album, you know, with, oh, a, wow. with a student. Right. We actually recorded with the American Standard. We, re- we recorded r- with Rob Wilson over at Mayberry. Oh, okay. He wanted to take, you know, try his chops at, you know, engineering. Yeah. He yeah. S- sat next to John Hampton enough. He figured, yeah, I could do this. Let me try this out. Well, you play it back, and a trained ear is like, holy crap, that's out of phase. That's out of tune. Right. <laughs> we had like four hours to get it all done. But it was uh, it was still, a, for me, it was a demo. It was something that sounded better than anything we could have recorded live. So it was nice to have. Oh, yeah. Uh, but recording more would be a big one. And it took, when we were recording uh, Everything I Need, the record we just did, well, just did, a year and a half ago, we did with uh, Curtis Grippy. It was, that was the thing that, that spoke to me the most. Is like, you waited this long to do this why couldn't you have gone in and just done one song here one song here because anymore that's it's a one song world right everybody's dropping a single track on spotify it seems like wherever you know you don't need nobody's doing a full record anymore let alone cds right you know but if you've got a full full record full of stuff you know record of material i would love to get back in there and do four four songs and i'd love to do them with bob hogue that'd be fun yeah um what about yourself as far as goals go? Because this, this, that to me sounds like more like a band kind of goal. Yeah. But what about for you as David Rhodes, your individual goals as a musician? So over the last couple of weeks, I've been doing acoustic shows a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, did some out of town. I did see that. Yeah, so I, I, I want to do more of that. Um, just because that, I think, really... I've played... I did almost, I think, a year of, of Mondays at Tempe Tavern playing acoustic to an empty bar. And that hardens you, kind of it strengthens the musician just to, like, the resolve that you have to do it. And I think there's value in that. I would want to continue doing that. I'd love to just go out of town with my guitar and play coffee shops, busking. I did it in London when we were out there, shit, probably 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Sat outside of Marks and Spencer with my hat out. My goal, I want enough for a couple of beers. So I'd play some songs. I played for like an hour and a half. And freaking hey, man, I was, I had plenty, a lot of beers. And it was freaking <laughs> brilliant. So I went and grabbed a couple of cans of Carlsberg and a pack of smokes and like posted up. <laughs> Mission accomplished. There you go. That sounds like a good uh, good day in London. Yeah, it was, it was pretty good. And everybody responded to the Otis Redding tunes. Nobody liked the originals over there, but you play like old American tunes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tom Petty, yeah, they're throwing at that. They like the covers. Everybody likes the covers. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. But, I mean, because, like, you, you see that happen here a lot. But, you, you know, when you think about other countries, you know, it's like you don't know what it's like until you've done it. Oh, yeah. I was scared as hell. I was like, I don't. 
I don't know what to, I don't know what to expect. Right. Exactly. But, but then you just kind of throw yourself into a you know you don't sing with your eyes closed because that looks kind of stupid. But you know you just you just throw yourself into it and just play and play for yourself at that point. Mm-hmm. And then any, if you catch anybody's ear, if anybody pays attention, cool. I'm sharing this with you. If you want to take it, I'm just here. It is. You know, it was pretty fun because uh, it got the resp- it got a response that was more than I was anticipating. Because cigarettes are expensive over there. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Like ten bucks, it was like fifteen bucks a pack. Oh man! Yeah, yeah. They got like, you know, like shit. I got like. Well, did it taste better as a cigarette, or, or was it better quality? Just I because g- I earned it the hard way. <laughs> yeah, it totally was. <laughs> well, at least there's that. <laughs> it still was gross. Cigarettes are cigarettes are nasty. Yeah, it was. Uh, but the car, the beers were. It was just. The buzz was better. The yeah. beer. It was just. It was fun, man. I had a great time with that. But like playing out in, uh, I was out in Ohio and played a wine bar and a hurricane, a tornado warning came through. Oh my so, God. So we had to get everybody w- had to go inside and the people that stayed were in it freaking ride or die. They stayed until like we closed the place down. Wow. You know, and, and in fact, p- past closing because closing was, is at like 11 or 12 and they stayed beyond that mm-hmm. hollering out tunes. And I was like, all right. So I just kept jukeboxing it and you know, they were tipping and buying drinks and shit and that was a good that was a fun time when people are singing along with you and you get a whole you know oh, yeah. a room full of people singing songs that's fun oh absolutely and it's, it, it's with the audience interacting yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's it's more difficult to achieve that playing original rock tunes right unless everybody knows your song and it's which, your fans yeah which is you know it's and it's that's awesome too you know how it is when you see people singing your songs oh yeah it's a really cool feeling oh, shit, yeah. um but so you play covers and you play originals and I'm, you know, I've seen your band, so I know what you do with big finish, but for the people who are listening, um, this is a question gauged more toward just either covers or originals. So you tell me, but, uh, what is your favorite song to play and why? And it could be cover or an original. It could be solo. It could be with the band. What is your hands down favorite song to play? Gold dust woman. Really? Fleetwood Mac, my wife and I play that, and I love it because she could nail a Stevie Nicks. She's got a, you know, she could, she pulls it, and that's a crowd pleaser, and it's really cool chords, the progressions. I think that would probably be the one because it means a lot to her to sing with me, and it means a lot for me to know that she's singing it well, and right. it's a song that I can actually play because Lindsey Buckingham has got some crazy shit. Oh, so yeah. that's one that's really subdued, but it's. It's there, and I can I can nail it, and then we harmonize at the chorus. You know, what did she make you cry? You know, make you break down, shatter your illusions yeah. of love. Yeah, that's a fun one. That's a good one to cover. Um, that's the covering, but I think with the band, we're mainly originals. Mm-hmm. And I dig the I dig the leech, is probably yeah. my favorite song that I play with Big Finish. The, ori- the originals right. that we do with Big Finish is probably that one, or the new one that's not been recorded yet, uh, which is uh, nonstop. Is that like the Guitar Mageddon kind of song where everybody takes a solo? No, there's two of those, and actually, yeah, that th- you're right. That is, uh, no, it's not. That's Leave It Cold is the other new one, oh, gotcha. and there's a dueling guitar solo where it's in harmony, kind of like right. It's like the freaking. Uh, Oh shit! What am I thinking? It's a uh, like Doobie Brothers style, you know. Right. But uh, except more rocky. Yeah. But leave it cold is one. It's both of them like just good drumming. 
you know, Philip just lays it down on those, which is what I dig. Yeah, he's great. But it's uh, everything working together for me that sold me on the band. It is the gestalt. The gestalt. It <laughs> is the gestalt. These, the, 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 the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Oh. $10 word. Word of the day. I'll, uh, I got to think of what you said the other day about uh, ditch and leave or something. <laughs> Like that. The, the bait and ditch. Bait and ditch, yeah. <laughs> I was meeting up with David at a club the other day, and he decided not to show up, but then he did. But he was texting me, uh, bait and ditch. That's a, that'd be a good song name. I can see it. That'd be a good one. That and Fino Barbie Dolls. That's a band name, though. Fino Barbie Dolls? Oh, it is? No, it should be. Oh. That was one of the things. When we, uh, we started off with a... Uh, Tiptoe glory hole. That's right. We uh, that was like the first, and then Mark Hensey, who was our drummer at the time, had he has young kids. He was like, guys, I can't really tell my kids the band name. And they're See, I got me. confused by that story on the way back sessions. I thought you were saying Chad had kids. No, Chad doesn't not have kids, and I'm not gonna caveat that. He doesn't have kids. It was Mark Hensey, our the, our, the other drummer the that record. started with us for the record. His young children. He he was like, you know, they're like, Daddy, what's the name of your band? And it got awkward in the Hensey household. So he came back to us. He's like, Can we, can we think about changing it? And we'd gone through this process of like, coming up with stage names. Oh yeah. And it was uh, probably got about two hundred and sixty text messages, like two hundred and sixty names. At one point, I counted it, and then. I'm just, I was just mortified to find that my phone, when I swapped, I, d- I didn't, I don't have them anymore. Oh, no. It was a freaking, uh, uh, just an onslaught of the most ridiculous puns. So there was like Barry, Barry McCockiner. Right, right, right. There was, you know, like Hugh. Jazz. J- yeah, it was t- stupid stuff like that. But something like one of the best ones was uh, from Mark, actually, was uh, Mr. Lurcock. How you doing? I'm Todd. Todd Lurcock. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And it was just went on and on. This was like page after page of text, and it would happen at any time of the night when any any one of us came up with something, and it was just gold for a freaking case if anybody wanted to press charges. (laughs) If anybody, if anyone in the band had like, you know, exigent factors where they were up, you know, being prosecuted for sexual harassment, that would not have bode well for any of us. Yeah, thank God uh, Big Finish doesn't have an HR department. <sighs> Not yet. Not yet. We don't need it yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we, we shouldn't. Probably not. What's a retainer these days? You know, that's definitely not my department, which is why uh, this podcast does not have an HR department as well. So I think we're safe. Let's see if we can give you a reason. I need one. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first episode? Oh, he mentions a band called Tiptoe Glory Hole. <laughs> the singer Todd Lurcock. Todd Lurcock. <laughs> um, <laughs> so dumb. So, if you're playing with uh, let's let's move back to the band. So, if you're playing with Big Finish or Toddler Cock or whoever, <laughs> <laughs> Toddler Cock is the front man of Big Finish. Oh, that's right. Of I, Tiptoe Glory Hole. I'm sorry. So, if you're Toddler Cock playing with Tiptoe Glory Hole, uh, what's your favorite type or your favorite place or you know just your favorite kind of venue to play? Whether it be the main stage at a festival a large venue with an adequate sound system or a dive bar private parties 
Private party is always fun because anybody who's you know going out of their way to bring you in to have you play a party, they know what they're getting. Right. They want to have a good time. Dive bars are, are, are would be a second, but then like larger venues like you know Marquee, I've never played there, but like Last Exit, those places are great, especially when you got a good tight bill of awesome bands. Then it becomes the synergy of that. It goes back. It's the gestalt of the night. Gestalt. You know, it's, it becomes like. You have a lot of bands that are all there to have a good time, and everybody's making great music. That's fun, right? But uh, you know, like I, lo- I love venues like Yucca and uh, Tempe Tavern used to have a lot of bands. I don't think they're doing that much anymore. Those kind of venues are probably my bread and butter because you can have like fifty people there, and it's tight. It's close enough to feel like you're back in the place. Yeah, that was kind of that was a beauty. That was the appeal for you know most bands. Long longs aside from you know, the, the reputation of the place and the cachet that it, ha- it, it wielded. It was a good room because it was a straight room, right. way overpowered, and there was enough places for the sound to go. Uh, and it was, it was cool with the two, t- you know, the, the, you had the step up, so you had the kind of the, the loge seating in the back so people can sit up there and watch at the bar. Mm-hmm. I like that. Tempe Tavern School, it's a really hard room, a lot of hard surfaces, so it's right. very noisy very easily, you know, very easy. But, yeah, places like Yucca, shows I've been to at Marquee, like when you guys played there, that was amazing, you know. Last Exit, they, they've got it dialed in down there, too. they got Brian Stubblefeld does oh, yeah. great sound down there, and he's got that room just on lock, especially when they open it up. Shady Park was probably one of the coolest spots we ever played because we we're a five-piece band and we're loud yes so when you have no ceiling and you're just playing outside like that it's amazing because then the sound just goes away and people are there being able you know able to hear it and feel it and move and have a good time that was a really cool venue i think they saved it they saved it they're actually building uh sound like abatement measures they're building something so they've they've closed temporarily mm-hmm. i just read today or yesterday or last week i did or tomorrow I'm all i that. saw was uh fun bobby's press release saying thanks for the signatures and stuff yeah <clears throat> yeah so yeah so they're working on keeping it they're going to keep live music there and that's a big edm spot these days i don't right. know that they're doing a lot of rock bands there anymore but that was a fantastic venue to play at because the sound was great they got a dance floor you know, there was a, I can't remember what else it was. A lot of, so, yeah, it was fun. I mean, they had sushi. Sushi, ramen, pizza. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's it's the carb trifecta. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. So you let, let's say you just got done playing your favorite venue. What is your after-show routine? Do you go get some of that ramen, or do you grab a beer and just chat it up with some people that are still at the show? What's what's your routine after? Yeah, I totally do. I, uh, yeah, after the show, I'm usually done because I've already eaten. I'll eat like three hours before. I can't eat right before. I made that mistake. Right. A few too many times. But uh, maybe I'll, you know, usually it's late enough. So I'll just, I'll drink some cocktails, drink some beers, drink some whatever, you know, ride the night out, watch the next bands and post up, hang out, chat it up with people and uh, be social, you know, post, take photos of the bands that are after us. Right. Do some, some selfies. St- yeah. Do some stupid selfies. I'm, a, I'm not, I'm not ashamed. Well, well, while you're all, uh, well, I've got you all liquored up. I'm just kidding. 
what is something that you wish other people knew about you, either about your musicality or your livelihood? Just something you wish people knew. That I wish they knew? Yeah, something that doesn't really come up in conversation because you never really had the opportunity to. And you, you know, Man, I really wish people knew this about me. Like, I collect rocks or whatever it might be. I'm really good at growing plants. I have a green thumb. I have a really green thumb. My, my, my dining room and living room is just festooned with plants. I think I saw that on Facebook. Yeah, I freaking love plants. Um, I love to cook. I'm a really good cook. I'll admit that. I, I'm, I'm, that's not bragging. That's just because I've, you know, I've worked at it. Right. Not always good. Usually good. I used to be a sign language interpreter. Oh, really? Yeah, I interpreted for I 20 knew years. That. I knew that because we were at Tempe Tavern, and you were signing to that guy, and I'm like, David, how do you know this? And you're like, I just, I know this. This is one of my, I'm an onion, baby. <laughs> Lots of layers. Lots of layers, and each one makes you cry. <laughs> Spit take. Spit take. Right into the mic. Um, yeah, I interpreted for like 20 years. I actually interpreted the presidential debate. No way. Yeah, when Bush and Kerry were in town, I interpreted that for deaf attendees. And I it was uh, at an offsite location. I met Dave Girl. Well, I didn't meet Dave Girl. I muttered words. To, I totally fanboyed out on Dave Girl. Oh. I had a hard time getting words out. I'm just like, <laughs> That's all right. I, I, that happened to me before, too. Yeah? So I, I know the feeling. Oh, it's so awkward. But, I mean, I didn't, like, totally, like, puke in my mouth or anything like that. It was just like. I, I can interpret for you if you want me to. He's like, yeah, whatever. Go ahead. You know the words? Yeah, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then they they got up to play, and I'm like, I look around for deaf people. I'm like, uh, you know, you sign. Right. Are you deaf? You know, it's like, any deaf? Like, kind of looking around at people and meeting people's eyes. Didn't see any. So I went back to the podium because it was intermission between, you know, it was like after the stump speech and whatever. So it was weird, but it was fun. It sounds pretty fun. Yeah, Secret Service were no joke, though. I bet. Those guys don't mess around. Why would you say that? Because they were freaking totally, like, I got pat down. They patted me down probably like four times, and I was in the same circle. So there's a platform right next to the stage. Mm -hmm. There's two interpreters, me and this dude, and we would switch. And before they would let us back up, they're like, okay, you were just up there. And then kind of look at you, you know, because somebody from the crowd could have handed me something or mm -hmm. any number of things, right? So right. they just kind of do a quick sweep, and then you get up there. But then their field manager, the dude who was like supervising all of them, he was a cut up. He was like, "Oh, you guys are really making that look <laughs> easy up there." I'm like, "Well, yeah, we're working our asses off." I'm like, uh, "This guy's kind of a hard ass." He's like, "Yeah, he's gonna have to stop a bullet. He doesn't know if it's gonna happen tonight." Wow. I'm like, "Okay, yeah. that's all right. That's a lot to pack." <laughs> you know got to be ready yeah so um what is some advice you have for upcoming and young musicians out be out there and be, network met, meet everybody you can don't talk shit about other bands support other musicians even if you don't like to even if you don't the most that was one of the things that really struck me about you and it struck me about a lot of other people i've met lately is that even if a band really is not good or doesn't speak to you doesn't mean it won't speak to somebody else but the fact that they're working they're putting in the effort and they're crafting their product is worthy of respect 
You know what I mean? And I would hope that somebody would say that about me. You know, if, even if you don't like my music, you, know, you respect the hustle. Right. You know, but up and coming musicians, and there's a lot of these cats coming up, dude, that have like got so much talent. It's ridiculous, dude. I see these cats online like playing acoustic guitar and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm like, holy shit. Oh, yeah. I'm going to just do my four bars and, you know, my four chords and, you know, sing like 12 songs and call it a set. These guys are out there with like two strings and playing percussion and like doing a freaking sonata. And good God. Oh, yeah. Overachiever. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, there's there's always somebody out there who's younger than you, better than you. Mm-hmm. And they're viral. Oh, yeah. Which you know? that's good for them. Good for them. I don't begrudge anybody their success. In fact, I learned at a very... I would say young age. I would just say it's early in my relationship with my wife. I'd see somebody in ice car. I'm like, ah, fucking jackass. She's like, why would you do that? Cause you didn't deserve that car. So, do you? The more you begrudge them of that, the more negative energy you're putting at that, the more you're pushing that away from yourself. Mm. Right. Right. That negative energy and that item go in the same direction. So it's like, good for you, man. Good on you getting that car. Way to drive that Tesla at 17. <laughs> I don't know how you got it, but you got it. You Good for you. It. Enjoy it. Yeah. Don't wrap it around a telephone pole like I did. Yeah. 85 Maxima. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> My first car. Um, is there any, so on the topic of Good Vibes, is there anything you want to promote while you're here? Uh, we are, I guess it would be the first thing off, off the top of my head would be a show we're playing at Yucca Tap Room on August 27th. We're playing with Ghetto Cowgirl and Doug Preston uh, and the All-Stars. And it's that's going to be a cool show. Chad Price, who plays in Big Finish, is going to be doing a doubleheader mm. with Doug Preston and his band. So that's going to be fun. And, uh, yeah, it's that's going to be the first thing I would promote. Uh, the second thing I can think of promoting would be waiting on the highlight reel from the Wayback Sessions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be fun. That was a good time. We did that last week. Um to the day to the day in fact right now i'm pretty sure well coming up here soon is going to be uh the woodworks are playing that's right yeah so that's going to be starting here in a few so we'll have to get offline and let people listen to that well we got time for one more question hit me so we'll wrap it up there we got got plenty of time to that um what is this is my last one and we'll go drink some beers and watch the woodworks uh, what is your go-to car jam song when you're driving or you're getting amped up for something? Driving is one thing. <clears throat> getting amped up is another. <laughs> That's true. Because there's a, there's a driving tune that I dig a lot by... Oh, it's, uh, let me just let me skip ahead to the... Uh, Amped up one. Amped up one would be "Are You Okay?" Oh, by Wives. Yeah, love it, love it. They are, they're what a rock band should be, man. Those guys are freaking great. And Black Moods are another one. I love their cover of Petty, the Tom Petty cover they did. Um, but there's a song that I love driving to. It's called, it's by Iron, Iron and Wine. And the song is called, give me a second, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember it here. Oh, yeah, go ahead. It's uh, The Devil Never Sleeps by Iron and Wine. Mm. And it's just like, there. it was released in like, I think 2013. They're like a California band, but it's got an old kind of birds feel to it. 
but it just rolls. It's freaking cool. That's awesome. And it's like that one's like that one is like what running down a dream is to a lot of people drive taking a road road to you know road song. Right. That one's add that to your list if you're driving. I will have to. Yeah, you're not gonna be bad at it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming in today and answering some of my questions I had for you. That's fun, Ryan. I'm going to leave our listeners with a song from the band Big Finish. It's called Circle's End. It goes like this. When does it end? The circle bends. Circle around, keep on talking again. Inside it waits. I'm spinning plates. Spin around, then come crashing through. One more time if you let me. Bye.